Our text for today comes from Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. These are the words of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses aside, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm going to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving for your own. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, Joshua is a warfare book that will get under your skin. The call for the destruction and removal of the traditional custodians of the promised land make this book disgraceful to the average reader. That's a start, isn't it? The violent nature of warfare has caused many to question the goodness of God and if Joshua should even be included within the Bible. I was speaking to a lady today and she said, I hate that book, Joshua. I wish it was not in Scripture. And I said, well, I'm going to preach it. Even before the modern era, the contents of Joshua have troubled the church Origin in a series of sermons on Joshua from the 3rd century said this, quote, Unless these physical wars bore the figure of spiritual wars, I do not think the books of Jewish history would ever have been handed down by the apostles to the disciples of Christ who came to teach peace so that they could be read in churches. Through a humble reading of Joshua, Origen remembered that, quote, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He realized that even the books that at first appear disgraceful are very useful for our lifelong apprenticeship to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to address the problem of warfare today, I'm going to do that next week. But what I would like you to do today is have your minds opened because there is wisdom found within these pages. How then is Joshua useful for us? 
Well, Joshua gives us a blueprint for gospel mission today. In Joshua, the people of God are on a conquest to take the promised land that God said to Abraham, you will have this land one day and you'll be blessed and you'll find rest. And in this time, right now in Joshua, Israel waged war against their enemies and were receiving the promise of rest. In the New Testament, we too are called to march into battle. And here's where the application connects to us today. But we wage war not against physical armies, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We fight against the darkness of Satan to draw souls, perishing souls, souls that need the refreshment from Jesus Christ. We are called to go to them in battle and draw them into the wonderful light of God's kingdom. In this spiritual battle, we go forth to conquer the world, the cosmos, by making disciples of all nations. Through evangelism, we urge hopeless sinners on the path to judgment to die to sin and rise to new life in Jesus Christ. In obedience, we urge new converts to then, quote, fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. As a church, we say to each other, keep on going, keep on soldiering on. We are in a lifelong battle and it will end with glory. In fact, we've already won because Jesus is at the right hand of God in power, reigning over all the cosmos, even though the world does not yet recognize his reign. One day, everyone will rise from the dead and give an account and say, Lord, I surrendered to you, or Lord, I denied you. In obedience, we go forth to conquer the world with the truth and love of Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to say, as we begin our series on Joshua, Joshua is a blueprint for gospel mission today. It's a blueprint. It's wisdom for mission today. And today in our study of Joshua, don't freak out, but I'm going to be looking at five chapters with you. And I'm going to be summarizing each chapter and I'm going to be pulling out different elements, different principles for mission today and these four principles are on the screen four tips for mission mission that is successful scripture meditation missionary awareness you might not know what that means yet but i'll explain gospel remembrance and proper worship and so the first tip for a successful mission is scripture meditation. Look with me if you have your Bibles to chapter 1. The chapter focuses on preparing Israel and Joshua, the leader of Israel, to take the promised land. In particular, God urged Joshua to be strong and courageous. When you think of the book of Joshua, you often think of that line, that verse, be strong and courageous. To become fearless, Joshua was instructed to therefore meditate on the law day and night. 
quote, Joshua needed to wrestle with the intent of the law to determine how it was to be applied in a range of situations, unquote, says David Firth. And so to be a courageous leader, Joshua had to be full of wisdom. And wisdom came through a deep, practical understanding of the word, in particular, the law of Moses. The law of Moses, this might come as a surprise, wasn't just this is the rule and this is what you need to do. Often the laws had purposes and they need to be applied in unique situations. And so to be a wise leader over Israel, a successful leader, Joshua, had to soak in all the words of God, had to really wrestle with the substance of the law. And so here's our first tip for a successful gospel mission. Scripture meditation. Scripture meditation. The heart of a faithful gospel worker must be shaped by the practice of reflecting on Scripture. This is the way of the wise man, says Psalm 1. They meditate on the law. How often? What was that? All the time, day and night. That's the idea of being soaked in the word. Often. Effective gospel workers who produce fruit that will last sink their roots deep into the soil of truth. There are no shortcuts to godliness. Growing in wisdom off the battlefield leads to success in the gospel mission. This is then why I think Paul the Apostle was eager for leaders to not be new converts. For those without much effect reflection on the pages of scripture which are new converts can become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil paul says the faithful leader on the other hand is someone steeped in heartfelt meditation which results in that fearlessness that courage that boldness to go forward into the world to make disciples And so if you desire to be effective, courageous, fearless in winning people to Christ, in drawing people from judgment into the eternal dwelling of heaven, I urge you to sink your teeth into the word. Think of yourself like a cow. How many stomachs does that cow have? Four. That word meditation in scripture is like chewing on cud. It's an image of chewing. Chew it. Chew it. Chew it. At first, you won't be reaping much benefit. But as you continue to chew and digest and think about Scripture, it will begin to be inside of you. The Word of God is a living Word, powerful and active. But the leader with the living Word inside of them is also powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. They walk as living Word, like Christ who is the living word, God become flesh. Powerful idea, isn't it? Chew the cut of God's word. That's my first point. And my second tip for a successful gospel mission is missionary awareness 
Turn with me to chapter 2. The character and folk, the character of focus in this account of spying out the land is a woman from Jericho, which is a woman in the promised land, and she is also known as Rahab, and she is a prostitute. When the spies of Israel entered Jericho, they were exposed by the king of Jericho. They got caught out. Rahab, the unlikely candidate, then shrewdly protected them, the Israelite spies. When the servants of the king came knocking on her door, she said, in effect, that these spies, they're out of here. They've already left. She gave the impression that these men had quickly escaped Jericho and that if these soldiers wanted to find them, they better go now. But we know in the story that the spies were still hiding in her home. The men believed Rahab and quickly left Jericho to pursue the spies who were right before them in that house. In this event, Rahab confessed her faith in God. Remember, she's a Canaanite, a pagan worshipper. She confessed her faith in God. She proclaimed, the Lord your God is the God of heaven and earth. She had heard all the amazing things that God had done for 40 years through the people of Israel. Rahab then negotiated a deal with the spies to save her family when Israel takes Jericho. She asked them to swear an oath that as she has shown kindness to them, so they will return compassion to her and her whole household. The spies then gave her full assurance, her full assurance. They said, our lives for your lives. They're going to protect Rahab and her family. If Rahab remains in her house and puts out a scarlet cord across her window, when Israel comes to Jericho, her whole household would be protected from all harm they would be saved. After the deal was made, Rahab then enabled the spies to return home. She said to them, go and stay in the mountains over there. And then after three days, go down to be with your people at the Jordan River. And so the spies listened. And then they went back to Joshua and told Joshua that the Canaanites, the people of Jericho, the people in the land, were melting in fear. Joshua 2 teaches us that Rahab is unique. She assisted Israel in her, in their mission and also affirmed the God who was giving the land. Later, she is fully incorporated into the people of Israel, even though she's a Canaanite prostitute, and even included in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. In other words, For Jesus to come into the world, he was connected to the bloodline of this Canaanite prostitute. Interesting thought, eh? Rahab is a true Israelite. And true Israelites are made through the confession of allegiance to the God of Israel. Canaanite prostitutes can be included in the people of God through faith. She is a foretaste of the blessing brought about through Jesus Christ. In him, all are welcome and freed to worship the lamb who saves us from fire through the shedding of his sacrificial blood. Jesus is our savior and everybody is welcome to come and bow before the feet of Jesus Christ and give them his full trust. The God of scripture is a God who includes people in whom we might exclude. 
Here then is the second tip for a successful mission, and that is missionary awareness. We must remember that the gospel mission is large in scope. It is not only directed at middle class citizens, but includes frauds, prostitutes, murderers, the worst in society, the rich, those who commit crimes on the studs killing horses, which actually happens, those who sell heroin in our local pubs, all these people can be included in the church of Jesus Christ by faith. In our conquest to disciple the nations, let us not forget those who sit in prisons, work in brothels, legislate against the church, and do all sorts of criminal injustice. We need to be aware that the scope of God's mission is large, is cosmic, is worldwide. And that Jesus died for the whole world, that all those who trust in him, even the filthiest sinners, may find cleansing, redemption, healing, salvation in Christ. Expand your missionary awareness is my second tip for a successful mission. The third guideline for a successful mission is gospel remembrance. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 and 4. The Israelites, they're about to enter the land, but there is a issue. Does anyone know what the issue is? There's a ginormous river. And it's in spring. And it's flooding. It's gone in front of them. They can't get through. If they tried to get through, they would all go, die, drown. And so the river was overflowing. In my study guides, I have a picture of the river. That is not in spring. In the flood season. In the flood season, it was wide, dangerous. And so the officers of Joshua then ordered the people to orderly follow the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was the symbol of God's holy presence with his people. The people had to walk at least 2,000 cubits behind the Ark because as we know, If you get too close to the ark, if you're not a priest, you die. The ark was the inapproachable presence of God. And so before Israel crossed the Jordan, Joshua directed the priests to go ahead and stand at that flooded Jordan. When the ark set foot into the Jordan, when the priests walked in, in faith, a mighty miracle occurred. Just like the Red Sea parting in Exodus, the flood waters flowing downstream were completely cut off. And the scriptures say, verses 13 to 16, they were rising up like that, high. I don't know how wide, but they went up so that all the people of Israel could cross through. And so the priests were in the middle of the Jordan River. The scriptures say that it was completely dry ground and the people then just strolled through. Now, the people in the promised land, the Canaanites, knew what happened at the Red Sea and they melted in fear. And that was 40 years ago. Imagine how they felt now. The exact same thing has happened. And God had parted the Jordan River 
And this nation who had this land as their promise was strolling in to take the land that God had promised them. The miracle was a sign that the Lord of the earth was with Israel. And Joshua was also exalted in his leadership. And so to remember the miracle of God, Joshua ordered one man from each tribe to gather a stone, which makes 12 stones, to create a sign, a memorial. Quote, a sign is a token that commemorates and evokes rich memories of past events, much as a treasured souvenir draws our minds back to a past holiday, unquote, says one scholar. In other words, when you go on holidays, you get a... Um, uh, something to put in your fridge, often a magnet. And when you look at that magnet, you say, oh, wasn't it good being on that beach holiday in Vanuatu where I was drinking pina coladas on the water? It invokes rich memories of the past, which leads to great appreciation, doesn't it? Well, the memorial was set up at a place called Gilgal, on the eastern border of Jericho and would become a sign to all the peoples of the earth that the Lord is powerful and that he is to be feared and that everyone who trusts in him can be a part of this promised land, this promised people, the people of Israel. Hold on to that point for next week. Yeah, Everyone can be included. And so Joshua 3 and 4 teaches us that memorials have power. They enable thoughtful reflection, draw the witness, the viewer into the story and connect us to the past. A powerful memorial enables people to experience the past event so that we can live out its demands and purposes in the present. Think about Anzac Day. Anyone been to a dawn service? Hands up. A few of you. We gather each year. In the freezing cold often, it's cold. I remember last year I was like, and people saying, you need to put some more clothes on, Jesse. We remain still in that freezing cold, in respect. We hear the lone trumpet being blown and declare, lest we forget. That event is a memorial. It is sacramental. We experience the past to become people of gratitude and thanksgiving in the future. We hear stories of those who sacrificed their lives for our short-term salvation, which is living in Australia. And then we find enjoyment and satisfaction and we celebrate the freedoms that we now take for granted. The gift of freedom is savoured as we enter the Anzac Day story And so this brings us to my third tip for a successful mission, gospel remembrance. In the New Testament, Jesus has provided us a foundational sign that the church gathers around regularly so that we never forget what God accomplished on that Roman cross. To stir our affections and set us apart from the world, the Lord instituted what is called the Lord's Supper around the table. We fellowship, we love each other, we find community, we remember the once and for all death Jesus accomplished on the cross. But we don't stop there. We participate in that meal 
and are then pointed forward to the future and our mission. In this meal, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And at the end of the meal, we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Without this sacred memorial, our mission is blunted because without a memorial, we sometimes forget and we can easily forget our call to go forth each week to evangelize the world with the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. But as we recall the brutal death of Jesus for our sin, we feel the weight of who we once were and we yearn, if not only people, could experience the same as what I've experienced. Yesterday I was reading a book on revivals in the Britain Isles and I was reading about a revival that took place in Ireland. It was called the Six River Mile Revival. And guess what was the major cause of this revival in that nation as people were coming to Christ? Deep gospel remembrance. Remembering what Jesus accomplished on the cross as they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. That instigated revival and that came along powerful, enthusiastic preaching of God's word. And so friends, lest we forget the death of Jesus. May we continue to gather get together and celebrate this memorial and be sent out in mission to bring other people to hear the good news of salvation. Thanks for staying with me for so long, guys. There's one last point here. Proper worship. The fourth guideline for success, a successful gospel mission is proper worship. And we turn now to chapter 5. And in this chapter, the people of God are consecrated, which means they are set apart for sacred use. First, the male Israelites had to be snipped. Circumcised, yes. Circumcised. Joshua, in obedience to God, then made flint knives. Doesn't sound very nice. And circumcised the Israelite men at the Hill of Foreskins. That's what it got later called, the Hill of Foreskins. For many readers, this event surprises us, for we would expect the Jewish man to be circumcised, as the law says, in their early years. But remember the former generation. Did they worship God? Did they love him? No, they were disobedient. They were wicked and rebellious people. Thus the basic mark of Israelite identity was not passed on to their children. In fact, it was completely rejected. The people in the wilderness generation lived as though they were not Israelites. They were saying things like, Oh, Moses, I want to go back to Egypt slavery. I'd rather be there. They rejected their national identity as God's people. But this new generation... Entering the land, seeing the land before their eyes. They had now stepped into that land because they crossed the Jordan. They are an obedient children of God. They are a faithful generation. The whole nation of men were then circumcised and camped until they were healed. And in this act, the disgrace of the rebellious wilderness generation rolled away, passed away from them. 
that identity that they once were, living in association with a generation who did not take God seriously, had gone, had been forgotten, had rolled away. The new generation of Israelites were a people set apart for sacred use, set apart in devotion to God. And so they were consecrated in that event of circumcision. And second, the people of God were consecrated as they were faithful and participated in the Passover meal. The meal is full of significance. The first Passover led to the great exit, which is exodus from slavery in Egypt, while the new Passover led to the great entry, the exodus, into rest. The mark of entering this newfound rest is that Israel ate some of the produce of the land. They had entered into the promised land and there was grain everywhere. There was yeast, all that they needed to enjoy God's providence. It was there. In fact, God was no longer raining manna down on them like he did in the wilderness. God said, here, my children, I have given you all you need. The manna God gave in the wilderness had ceased. For God gave his children the promised land. God had full provision over his holy and set apart people. And so what does Joshua 5 teach us? Joshua 5 teaches us that the opportunity to advance in the land is not enough. David Firth, who is a scholar on Joshua, says this, Quote, what mattered most was not claiming the promise of God, but rather ordering their lives such that they were in a proper relationship with him by putting proper worship at the heart of who they are. Faithfulness to God in mission starts with our worship. Having worship that sets us apart as holy people. Worshipful of the faithful preaching of God's word. Worshipful of hymns that are rich and spur our affections on to praise God. Worship with rich gospel remembrance. All these forms of worship help us in our Monday to Saturday where we go out to serve, to evangelize to do mission, to make disciples of all nations in obedience to Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we too see the call for proper worship. Jesus said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Spirit and truth, proper worship, the worship that God takes pleasure in, overflows with a deep love for the Father. It overflows with the truth found in the Son. It overflows with the power of the Spirit. Truth, power, love. That is the worship that God desires. Love, truth, and power in preaching. Love, truth, and power in praise. Love, truth, and power in remembrance. Love, truth, and power in prayer. Does our worship... Do you come away saying, Wow! That was full of power. That was full of truth. That was full of love. A deep devotion for the Father. A deep devotion for the Son. A deep devotion for the Spirit. Well, that's where we're heading, friends. 
to have a worship that is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Spirit, not neglecting the persons of the Trinity, but steeped in love, power, and truth. For this proper worship inspires, instigates revival. Radical, wholehearted missions in our local community and beyond. If our worship is full of truth, but lacks love and power, is that proper worship? Many churches within the evangelical tradition have that problem. They come, hear a 50-minute sermon, but it's dry and there's no one inspired. Catholics are good at loving the Father. Everything they do is like, oh. (laughs) All the Catholics I know do. They have a deep devotion for loving God, giving him praise with the beauty of worship, but often they neglect the truth of God's word and put it to the side and even struggle with love, as we've seen in the Royal Commission. Pentecostals. Man, you go into a Pentecostal church and they'll love on you. They put all this energy into the welcome team. They'll put bubbles and give you all these handouts and get you connected into your small groups. They want to love you. They'll invite you to a meal and offer you hospitality. But often you can't. You'll hear a sermon for 45 minutes and it'll just be stories about nothing really. Does that have proper worship? We need to find this balance. Truth. Deep, rich exposition of scripture that's done in the power of the Holy Spirit with a heart ablaze and a love that invites people to experience it. My encouragement to you is to worship in love, truth, and power. Well, friends, we've heard four principles today for a successful gospel mission from Joshua. These are four principles you can take away before you go out and evangelize your neighbors, your friends. One, scripture meditation, missionary awareness, gospel remembrance, and worship that is proper. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Joshua chapter 1 to 5, and that you provided a way for Israel to enter her promised rest. We also thank you that Joshua is prophetic providing us with a blueprint for your cosmic mission today. But Father, may we not only be observers of this blueprint, but appliers of your word. Help us to become learners who are strengthened through scripture meditation, evangelists to expand our missionary awareness, and warriors who never forget the death of Jesus, and worshippers who exalt you in love, truth, and power. Amen. Amen.